0: Great. Sandy Robinson, welcome. It's great to have you here on the podcast today. We'd love to learn a little bit more about you. Can you tell us who you are, what your role is, where you work, uh, and a little bit more about yourself?
1: Sure. Yes. Thanks for having me. I'm Sandy Robinson. I'm the Senior Director of Sales Operations at a company called Supply Frame. Mm-hmm. We're in the electronics components industry. Uh, so I work for our uh, SaaS division and the team, and I've been here for about eight or nine months so far. It's been a really exciting journey. Um, my background is really in sales, so I started out back in the day selling advertising and yellow pages, and then I managed sales teams uh, selling advertising, so even before digital, and I somehow found myself in insurance as a sales manager, and uh, somewhere along the way I really got into the reporting and the numbers and you know, trying to understand, you know, CRM systems, how they worked, and basically ended up working through a lot of different projects and things that got me excited about sales ops. So when I was at Kemper, I found myself on the sales ops side. And because I think that I was a sales manager, I was able to really provide useful tools and things for the team uh, that they could use. And I think it's really important to focus on, you know, who you're Audiences, who your users are when you're working and building things. And so, you know, after Kemper, I found myself over at web.com as VP of sales ops mm-hmm. over there. And we, you know, had an enterprise team and focused a lot on, you know, building playbooks and things like that. So it's been a fun journey. Uh, so I, I really am passionate about, you know, sales team and enabling them with the things that they need that are practical mm-hmm. uh, that they can use uh, versus just having them do things to check boxes and, you know, provide things that don't mean anything.
0: Awesome. Awesome. My understanding, um, from our prior conversation was that during the whole COVID-19 situation, your mindset from a sales operations point of view is not primarily around putting band-aids over situations and such, but more so about putting building blocks in place for the future. Is that fair to say? Is that correct?
1: Definitely. I'm definitely the, a lot of my uh, co workers have heard me. I'm uh, the anti band aid and duct tape person. Mm-hmm. So I really like to address root causes, and now is a great opportunity to do that. You know, the sales team is, you know, changed. obviously, they're shifting and lifting and uh, marketing's, you know, re messaging and doing things. And it mm-hmm. really gives me an opportunity to focus on our core playbook and okay. be able to, you know, work with the team on you know, what are the things that we need to do and uh, where can we start first and how can I help?
0: Right. And uh, I remember from, from the notes that I took uh, previously, one of the things that you said that informs your playbook or even a good playbook is the idea that there is one buyer journey and that it's important for your company and all of the line of business units throughout your company to align with that buyer journey, and, and your job essentially is to bring that together into one continuous story. First of all, how do you, you know, there's multiple questions from that, but what do you measure, first of all, to inform your starting point? What are the key things that you're looking into?
1: Well, I think it's really important to work with marketing about buyer personas and how the buyers buy, right? So, you know, Mm -hmm. an enterprise situation is completely different than in more transactional sales. Mm -hmm. You're working with executives. And so I think it's my job to help align our playbooks and our systems with the buyer journey. So, for example, uh, we have uh, a playbook that we put together that's designed more around an enterprise software sale. Mm-hmm. And we worked that out you know, back in November, December, and put this playbook together. Everybody's using it right now, and, and, and you know obviously we're making iterations along the way, but but a need came out of it to build the more transactional playbook. Okay. Uh, because there are you know, smaller you know we might be working with a manager level for you know one or two licenses on something, and it needs a completely different playbook. It needs different probabilities and analytics and things like that. Uh, so just recently in the last couple of weeks, took the time to actually build a new play around that, a new opportunity in Salesforce, new reporting.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And what you know we did is you know work with the different stakeholders that are you know in charge of those teams and the marketing that you know understands those personas and really put together something that made sense. Mm-hmm. Because what was happening was, with this other playbook, that sales team was just checking a bunch of boxes to move through a stage that didn't really mean anything. Okay. And it, it doesn't really do anything. One, you know, with the data coming out, it doesn't do anything for analytics because you're not able to see what's happening with the right type of buyer. And so, you know, by being able to customize something for the team mm-hmm. that's working with a different buyer, is really giving them the ability to, one, not hold them up on, you know, silly things that they shouldn't be doing anyway, like checking a box, but two really be able to give them the insights and, you know, how these deals are moving along based on, you know, the type of person that they're
2: working with.
0: Did you find once you endeavored on that process that you found there was actual data blind spots areas in the journey where you didn't have a, a true, a true handle on things?
1: You know, it's too it's too soon to tell because we really just put this playbook in place. Uh, okay. But as we as we went through the process, you know, it was very clear the sales team knew their personas, knew who they were working with, and they had a very good idea of you know how we should you know move through these stages and at what point uh, should they you know are they you know doing a demo or at what point are they doing these different things? So I mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't know that we came up with any you know revelations through the process we just Mm -hmm. built something that accommodated the way that customer buys and the way the salespeople sell and i think that's you know we miss that a lot because we're so concerned about you know checking boxes and getting certain you know pieces of data but if they don't mean anything Mm -hmm. then there's kind of no point uh you know I, i try to be a minimalist i can remember as a sales rep having to fill out you know sheets and sheets and sheets of information just so some leader could track activities, you know, Mm -hmm. and while that's great activity might be a leading indicator, Mm -hmm. what is the real true meaning of it? You know, what what are we, you know, having people do things just to do them gives them fatigue. And I'm, you know, I think if we focus on our key metrics and KPIs, and the things that matter to the buyers, you know, where where are the kinks in the process? Where do they get hung up? Right. Uh, and it, that's what's going to be more meaningful. And I think as a sales ops leader, the teams appreciate that more because they feel like you are on their side and you understand them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've been in situations, or I have colleagues who some of the sales ops leaders are almost like the, you know, the micromanagers or the big brother that's, you know, throwing them under the bus to the sales Mm -hmm. manager. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, that gives the role and it gives the value of what sales operations leaders can provide a really bad rap. So anyway, yeah, I mean, playbooks are great. So we're working on another playbook uh, for the, customer service team to really align it with their needs because they were using the same, everybody was using kind of the same opportunity management and it's not really conducive to their team. So they're, they're just kind of using it to use it. So it's like, Hey guys, would you like me to help you put together something that works for you and that works for your buyers and how right. they you know process things?
0: So tell me, has any part of the playbook process now become automated that wasn't before? And if so, has there been any benefit to your sales reps in terms of reducing their admin time or making them more available to do other things? Have you been able to automate steps?
1: Yeah, we're right in the middle of that. So that's that's been step two. Step one has been, let's build the playbook, make sure we get the right playbook. And mm-hmm. before we spend the time putting a bunch of automation around it, I want to make sure people use it, uh, you know, and that it's meaningful to them because okay. there's no sense in, you know, automating, you know, spending the time and resources to put a lot of work into it. Uh, so one of the things that we're about to automate is, I notice things that are sitting in the first stage after an SDR sets an appointment, you know, for more than 30 days, 45 days, I'm seeing them kind of sit there.
2: Right.
1: So it's like, I realize that we've got a lot of things that are taking longer and longer sales cycles and getting pushed out with Mm COVID-19. So what can we do to put some automation around that? You know, get things to rise to the top, or maybe it needs to go into a marketing loop, or maybe it needs to go back to an SDR, or maybe it needs to go to, you know, a C-level person because this is a C-level that we're trying to talk to. So we just put together what we want for the automation. And so now I'm getting it in the queue to, you know, actually put it into place.
2: That's great. So that's
1: something that, you know, we've been working with marketing on that and, and a number of different folks on the team yeah. to be able to put the right process in place.
0: That's great. Now, it's, it's nice to hear that you've, uh, you're touching on the fact that you're not working just with predictable line of business teams, like just with the VP of sales, for example, it sounds like you're working with other line of businesses. Who are the right stakeholders that you've brought in, uh, in terms of roles or departments? How do you recognize the right stakeholder to come in and validate your playbook and your, uh, and your process?
1: Yeah, so I, I think marketing always has a role, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whether it's persona, or if it's, you know, more of that Lead kind of top end of the funnel sort of situation, marketing is always going to have some sort of a role and be some sort of a stakeholder I think,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, and then you know for me it's finding the people who are really experts on you know their customers and how their customer buys, Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know in most organizations I think there's a you know a sales a customer service and I think those are important Mm -hmm. if there's any you know, I have an admin that I work with. She's phenomenal. She's amazing. So she's always a key stakeholder in every project. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's, you know, operations leaders, there are the sales leaders, but not just the sales leaders. I think it's really important. I always ask the leaders, can you give me one of your guys to, you know, work this through? Mm-hmm. I, because I think it's important. Like right now we're uh, doing a Gmail integration so that way people don't have to log activities. -hmm. And I'm trying to figure out how this works with outreach because
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you can't have both (laughs) in Chrome. So uh, we've I asked the sales leader, the SDR leader, you know, hey, who can I borrow to work through this? So we met with him a couple of times, and we're now setting up some tests and trying to figure out how to how to do some of the things we want to do, so Mm -hmm. that way they're not logging stuff in two places. So for me, you know, that's something that I said, hey, you know, I noticed these guys are putting something here and putting something here, you know, how can we make that easier for them? So,
2: yep.
1: but I need somebody who uses the tool every day. I don't use outreach every day. I mean, I'm familiar with it, but I'm not a user. So yeah. I need that person who's actually in it, using it to troubleshoot with me, uh, to try to break it, to beta test it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I don't want to roll something out. That's first of all, not going to work and it's going to break. I mean, that's bad. I've seen yep. that happen.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, or just not be useful because we may get through this and we may say it's not worth the time and resources to actually implement what we want to implement uh to do it because it's not going to save them that much time or maybe it's going to save him a ton of time i don't know yet but i know it's a problem so i'm trying to find you know what are the root causes and what are a number of potential solutions and then i'll take that back and then evaluate whether or not we've got the resources to do it do we have the time does it fit the priorities? You know, I have a laundry list of things to do
2: mm-hmm. and
1: I think prioritizing is so, so important. Uh, so just because it's easy to do and check it off the list doesn't mean it's the, the most important thing to do. I have like a, Stephen Covey is like ingrained in my personality. Mm-hmm. You know, people chase shiny objects all the time and I think, you know, this applies not just to sales ops but just, you know, really to, to any role where you get really busy. It's easy to run and chase this shiny object, the thing that's easy to check off your list. But really, what are the most important priorities? And so where are we going to spend 80% of our time?
0: So when it comes to aligning with leaders from other line of businesses who might have a different priority set than yourself, is there an educative process where you have to go in and explain or drip feed on why this is so important to them? Or is there some kind of master plan where everybody just, sings from the same song sheet and they intuitively know when to plug in and, uh, and do their part. How how is that in in real terms? Like, you know, in day to day?
1: Yeah. So fortunately where, where I am now is it's very small team. Mm -hmm. Everybody's fairly in sync. Everybody trusts each other. You know, Mm -hmm. you're not dealing with a lot of politics and things like that. Uh, But prior to, you know, past experiences, I think, putting a good business case together is important. So knowing how to do a project plan, understanding you know, how do you spell out a problem to an executive? If you want executive buy-in and you want money to do your project, how do you spell this root cause out and how much time is it going to save and how much you know, money do you need to spend to do it and who do you need involved? So I think Getting executive buy-in, you know, if you're in a larger organization with multiple department heads and it's affecting different people and mm-hmm. you need to get budget, you've got to be that that salesperson to really go in, but you have to, you know, line it out objectively and right. you know show, you know, what quantify what is this causing now? You know, how much money is this costing the company yep. by continuing to do it this way? Yeah. And I think that's the big thing is being able to put together a really good project plan with a Mm -hmm. problem statement detailed out to get that. Because if you don't have executive sponsorship, it makes it you know a lot more difficult to you know put these. Otherwise, you end up putting duct tape and band aids on everything, and
0: and you don't like to do that. You told us right at the
1: beginning. (laughs) So in my my old office, (laughs) I had a a big thing of duct tape on my whiteboard and a bunch of band aids.
2: (laughs) That's a a reminder
1: that's what they like to do. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. You know, there are some times where you need to put a quick bandaid on something Mm -hmm. just to get a report out or do something. And I get that. And I do that. And I have done that, but you can't just put a bandaid on top of a bandaid on top of a bandaid. And that happens all too often, especially in companies where you've seen lots of acquisitions, right? Because you have old system, new system, and then they never really integrated. And then Mm -hmm. it's this person does their process this way. Well, we'll just bridge the gap and do an Excel or a Google Doc to, you know, tie it all together. You know, so while you probably need to do that in the interim, you've got to put a longer term solution in place Mm -hmm. in order to effectively run the business. Because otherwise you start, you know, spending you know how many labor hours on people just you know putting things into google docs yeah so so yeah i you get me started on duct tape and band-aids i could go on and on and on and that and checking boxes those, those are like my two things that drive me mean, nuts
0: so you said um when you're aligning the line of businesses and getting the executive buy-in that of course the data helped inform the decision making putting together the business case which was informed by data uh there is a common misconception that sales operations is primarily a, re- a role about data and analytics. I suspect that it's more than that. What's your your take on the true, uh, the true identity of, of a good sales operations leader?
1: I think you have to have a good handle on the business and, you know, the buyer journey, the sales playbook and how that all ties together. So, you know, CRM systems is typically something that falls, you know, within a sales ops leader, at least maybe not necessarily full control of the system, but how it's set up and how it operates. So I think, you know, anything that's process oriented, uh, reporting, forecasting is a huge piece. So, Mm -hmm. you know, pipeline management, how are we managing the pipeline? And in order to do that effectively, you've got to have good processes and good systems set up. Mm -hmm. Um, in my world, in my previous roles, I've also managed sales enablement and sales training on mm-hmm. top of it, which isn't always common. I think that can you know go either way. I think sales ops is going more towards strictly process and data versus uh, you know training and things like that. I just happen to have I think a, a training and a sales background, so it mm-hmm. makes sense. Uh, you know, but a lot of times it falls under sales enablement. Used to fall under me, and you know mm-hmm. things like that. But you know, to answer your question, I think it's 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 about good data, reliable data. There's nothing worse. Like the last thing I want to do is provide my boss a report that has flaws in it. I want him to feel confident that what he's taking to the CEO, he can rely on. I don't want him to have to look into it. So in order to do that, I need to make sure we've got good processes and good data coming into the system. So that way, whatever I'm getting out of it, whatever forecast Mm -hmm. uh, I'm pulling out of it or whatever lead attribution numbers that we have, he's going to look at it and say, I know this is, this is accurate, or I know I can rely on this. And then you know, he doesn't have to worry about and dig into it. Uh, so I think, you know, reliable data is a, that was just, you know, pet peeves are, you know, having to wait for the fourth version of a report that comes out because the first three were incorrect. Mm-hmm. So, nice. you know, I may not. Credibility
0: now, then comes into play, right? Like, you get a few lives and then credibility goes out the window.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, And, you know, I've, I've sent out plenty of things where I've made mistakes on them, and I'm, you know, the first to pull it back and say, hey, you know, we need to do something differently here. However, I've learned in my experience that you just, you know, give it another day and look through it, or I'll have somebody else look at it and say, hey, does this look right to you? Does this... You know, does this match up with what you're seeing? Mm -hmm. So taking the time to, you know, I'll often send something to our finance person and then I'll send something to one of our salespeople uh, and say, Hey, does this look right? Or, you know, did I miss something? Did I do something wrong? And I'll have our admin check it and say, Hey, is there something I'm missing in the system? Am I interpreting this number correctly? you know, how is this mapped? You know, so I try to make sure as best I can, Mm -hmm. what I'm sending out is reliable. Um, and not just for credibility. Credibility is important, but I also don't want to slow people down because if they, you know, they now think, Oh, I've got to go run these numbers myself. You know, I feel like that's my job. You know, they should have to be building reports and dashboards and doing this stuff. Yeah. You know, I should be doing it for them. And if they're having to do that, Now, if it's a capacity thing, because I'm one person, I don't have a team here.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, If it's a capacity thing, that's one thing if I can't get to it. But, you know, if they're doing it just because, you know, it's something that I haven't put on my priority list, I think it's, you know, I think that's wrong. I think I should be, you know, helping as best I can to enable them, free up their time to go sell and do their
2: jobs.
0: Yep. Sandy, that's been fantastic. You bring a wealth of both experience and passion. Really enjoyed the opportunity to, to interview you. I think uh, just hearing everything that you said today, I'd be really interested to come back to you in six months' time after uh, all of these current projects have been implemented, tried, tested, validated, and, of course, the market starts to pick up again, uh, God willing, by then, um, to hear where you are then and to hear all of the kind of learning that will unravel from that. So, so again, thank you for myself. Uh, it's been a real pleasure, and we look forward to uh, sharing this
2: interview with the, with the wider audience. Thank you. All right, right. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you.